Some three billion people fly each year, with many of them engaging in various kinds of rituals, ranging from a pre-flight drink to mindful meditation during takeoff. For some, though, their flight prep includes drinking lots of water, getting lots of rest, and consuming enough vitamin C to ward off the dreaded post-flight cold. The data of getting sick while flying is the focus of this episode of Stats and Stories, recorded live in front of an audience in the Shriver Center at Miami University. I'm Rosemary Pennington, and we're in Shriver to celebrate the 10th anniversary of Miami University's Department of Statistics. The podcast is a production of the Stats Department and the Department of Media, Journalism, and Film, as well as the American Statistical Association. Joining me in Shriver Center are regular panelists, John Baylor, the founding and current chair of Miami Stats Department, and Richard Campbell, former and founding chair of Media, Journalism, and Film. Our guest today is Vicki Hertzberg. Hertzberg is biostatistics and bioinformatics professor at Emory University, and director of the Center for Nursing Data Science. Uh, she recently co-authored an article that came out in the journal Microbial Ecology, which examined the microbiome of airplane cabins. Vicki, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Could you explain a bit why you and your co-authors decided to study uh, germy airplanes and what you found? Um, well, uh, it goes back to the SARS epidemic in the early 2000s. Uh, we were approached by the Boeing company. Uh, Boeing's in the business of selling airplanes. And part of the repercussions of the SARS epidemic was that uh, one of the Canadian airlines went into bankruptcy proceedings. Oh, wow. oh. And so there's, you know, th you talk to many people and they say, oh, I always get sick when I fly. And so they really set out to understand uh, more about what actually goes on on an airplane. So, uh, Vicki, I, I uh, flew to Minneapolis last month, and about a week later I had a stomach virus. So uh, I'm getting ready to fly to Portland uh, Sunday. So do you have any advice for me? Uh, first of all, it's probably not due to the flight. <laughs> okay. uh, so I want certainty, and uh, I know that's a problem in, okay. in, in statistics. Uh, here's what I do. Um, I, I get a window seat. I stay in it. I don't get up. Um, I observe good hand hygiene, and I don't touch my face. So when you're studying this, I, you, know, you, you study things like a microbiome. What, what is the microbiome? Uh, the microbiome are those organisms that are all over the place. But they're small and you can't see them. They're on your skin, they're in, on, or in your body, um, and they're also everywhere. Um, so in this room, uh, it's the bacteria, um, the viruses, the fungi. Um, and so we were interested to see exactly what kind of bacteria, viruses, and fungi were present on airplanes. So you were, you were looking at things like what's on the, the, the windows that are by, when you're sitting by the window seat or on the armrests or on the, the table that you fold down? I mean, were those, you were sampling all of those different areas? Um, we uh, decided to sample um, air. And so we were seeing what was actually coming through uh, the filters. And we also, um, or actually what was out in the space where passengers were seated. And we also were doing some touch surfaces. So we uh, sampled the inside and outside of lavatory doors 
Um, and we also uh, had two randomly selected seats on each of the uh, ten, 10 flights that we took. And we sampled uh, the top and bottom of the tray table and the seat belt buckle. So. so so how gross are planes? <laughs> <laughs> They're no more gross than your living room. They look a lot like um, any other space that people spend a lot of time in. Did that surprise you? Yes, it did because you know you're you're kind of conditioned to think that that they will be kind of gross, but they're no more gross than you know places you spend in time. And we looked at a lot of other studies of the built environment. Nobody else has done airplanes, but there is a study done on the International Space Station. Um, and we looked at that. Um, lots of studies of classrooms and office buildings. And they're all very similar. Um, most of it is a skin bacterium called Propionibacterium acnes. And it's actually what causes teenage acne. Yeah. And that's predominantly what you pick up in, the, in, oh. in our sampling. So, so are you saying that the, the teenagers are the only ones that have to worry about flying uh, in terms no. of their responses? <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> so this topic is one of those topics uh, that's interesting to journalists, right? And you've done, I think, quite a few interviews about this, and I heard your episode with Ira Flato on Science Friday. Um, how, how do you think, what kind of a job do journalists do translating your work to the general public? And where, where, where is their work good, and what can they do better? Um, I thought that they uh, really, um, they would grab attention with headlines like germs on a plane, okay? <laughs> and the point is, is you want people to read the story. Mm -hmm. yes. So even though I might have an intellectual objection to that, I get it, <laughs> I get it. Um, but they did a really, I thought, thought, pretty credible job of reporting what we did and did not find, mm -hmm. so. I, I would think that they, they would have been much more excited if there was a really juicy disease mm -hmm. story embedded in this? Um, they, there would have. We took um, 10 flights uh, between Atlanta and various um, uh, destinations on the West Coast, so back and forth. And we actually, we, we ran every environmental sample we got through the uh, uh, respiratory panel that the Emory Healthcare uses. And it has 18 viruses that it looks at, influenza A, pandemic influenza, influenza B, RSV, all kinds of things. And we never found a single positive result in something like 200 and some environmental samples. Mm -hmm. And we were flying um, mostly in what's called the traditional flu season between October and the um, end of March. And it, we checked, and it was either the local seasonal epidemic, either in Atlanta or in the destination city um, for all of the eight flights that occurred during flu season. So I'm, I'm curious about the generalizing this result. So if I'm traveling internationally, 
you know, so does, you know, have, have, uh, has this been replicated with kind of other contexts if, you know, traveling longer term where there might be more stress, more flights involved? These were just single, single kind of point to point flights and assessment. So right. any, any thoughts about kind of longer trips where you're traveling internationally? Um, we've, uh, we're talking with Boeing for, uh, actually probably a couple of years and uh, our uh, project officer really wanted to uh, do this uh, in terms of flying to ch uh, Japan or China but she could never find the money mm -hmm. within the company to fund this and so um, we can't really extend the, the findings beyond like about a, a six-hour flight mm -hmm. um, I would say that um, they really don't cover that because everybody eventually has to get up. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. and, and there's other reasons for getting up. You know, this is, this is not just about catching disease. If you have uh, a circulatory condition, you might, you know, be, you know, you're advised by your doctor to get up and not sit uh, for hours at a time. So um, there's good reasons, you know, it's, it's a all a cost-benefit calculation. Mm -hmm. Why do you think there is this association, though, with flying and getting sick? Every time I fly, my husband is like, you know, take vitamin C, you know, make sure, you know, like this, this whole idea, like I'm going to get off the plane and I'm going to be ill. And uh, like I've bought into this, this idea that I'm going to get off the plane and be ill. It, and people seem to believe that. And I watch people, you know, take Clorox wipes and wipe everything down because they seem like they're so concerned about that. Why, why do you think that has sort of become something that we... It seems like take a lot of preventive action too. If it's really just you know some kind of acne bacteria, that's the most prevalent. <laughs> There's um, you're in a lot of you know you're in a confined space and and probably unless you're within um, uh, two seats laterally mm -hmm. and one row um, behind or in front of an infectious person, yeah, relatively uh, low probability of getting infected, mm -hmm. um, and. We want to, um, uh, we're biased in that we remember the flight. We don't remember the taxi driver that was hacking up a lung, you know, between the Cincinnati airport and the downtown Cincinnati when I went to the Women's Statistics and Data Science Conference. Well, apparently you do remember. Oh, I do. I was Some sick. might not, but you did. Yeah, so, so there's, there's a lot of other places involved in travel mm -hmm. where you can become infected, outside, you know, exposed to things outside of your daily routine. Now I think about the, the stressors that you have. I mean, when, when you're traveling, you're all, you may not be sleeping as much. You may be in a more stressful environment, say, being forced to appear on a podcast when normally you're yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. No, yeah, no, not a lot yeah. of that's a stress. But, but there's a lot of other stressors that might be part of the process of travel that, that might be putting you in a more compromised position. And like you said, you sort of blame what, you know, blame this exposure that you think is present. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. I'm curious as why Boeing approached you. Was it because of the sort of general urban legend of getting sick on planes that they wanted to to show that to document this wasn't necessarily true? Was that their motivation? They, they wanted to better understand the rates and routes of transmission, and that's actually what they called it: rates and routes right. of transition transmission, so that they could design better airplane cabins. Mm. Mm. So doing things like touchless lavatories, mm -hmm. okay? Uh -huh. 
a better uh, circulation of air, mm -hmm. et cetera. Especially when planes are on the tarmac and it's claustrophobic yeah, in the plane. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, we actually have a little animation that we did. We, you know, we uh, figured out where everybody was, all of our passengers and crew on each of our uh, flights. We have an animation we did for passenger movement and contacts. And we showed this to Boeing and they were just like, bedazzled because they hadn't really ever thought of it in those terms and didn't really, you know, they were seeing things and understanding them in a new light. You're listening to Stats and Stories, and today we're talking about germs on airplanes with Emory University's Vicki Hertzberg. So I'm, I'm now picturing the same study being replicated in other modes of transportation. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, my, you know, my kid used to ride the mega bus back and forth mm -hmm. from from Cincinnati to Chicago, or you know, taking a train, or you know, I'm just wondering how different this ex exposure would be, or, or if this if this has even been done you know, with other other public modes of transportation. Um, there's a whole uh, uh, field of people that are studying built environments, and there's. Um, uh, people that are studying like subways, subways and trains around the world. Um, there was a, a big scare a couple years ago that uh, somebody documented Yersinius pestis in the New York subway system. That's the cause of the bubonic plague. Oh. And so it was, uh, but it turned out to be a sequencing error. So. Oh. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> what advice would you give to students who want to do the kind of work that you do now? What, what should they be studying? What, they sh what experiences should they be having to prepare themselves to do this kind of work? Um, they really um, need uh, skills in understanding uh, kind of the basic science underneath it, uh, have some understanding about how transmission disease happens, what, what does all that mean? Uh, understand a little bit of basic microbiology. Mm -hmm. um, but I, was, I had such great training in statistics and was able to really um, uh, develop that into understanding um, kind of the stochastic nature of all of these uh, uh, interpersonal contacts mm -hmm. that allow such transmission to take place. Mm -hmm. So with, with working with this, did you go to sort of different levels of mechanistic modeling? I mean, you, were talk, you talked about movement of people within the plane, but I mean, there's certainly the idea of the, the exposure to that, then there's the transmission and the absorption and the transition to disease status. I mean, it's, there's sort of so many different places that things could, could be fixed before it led to disease. Was, was that part of sort of framing this? Or? Um, no, we didn't really get that far because we were just looking at kind of the, ex, the exposure and kind of wrapped all of that in okay. to uh, the probability of infection. Okay. Um, we didn't, didn't really have the opportunity to get that deep into it. Um, but I think there's certainly that room to go through there, but you need a lot more data than we were able to collect. Uh, I think it's time now, since we have a live audience, to sort of throw it to the audience to see if they have questions uh, for Vicki. And I, I believe our producer, Charles Blades, is gonna be running about with the mic. Hi, Bob Starbuck. Is the air circulating in an airplane 
reasonably clean, or are there any processes that take place on the plane to try to filter the air to make it more acceptable? And is it any different, really, than the air in a terminal that itself, So, which, where you're actually exposed for quite a bit of time as well? Um, we didn't actually sample air in the terminal, but I will say that it's, um, at least on the aircraft that we uh, were looking at, that it was uh, pretty clean, and it looked, again, like um, air in office buildings or schools or, or those kinds of environments. Um, it used to be that um, airlines really recirculated the air a lot, uh, but now they're running them through uh, really um, high-performance filters, mm. and they're um, mixing in about 50% new air all the time. Uh -huh. It actually circulates um, uh, faster than many modern office buildings now. Tim Kramer, when you talked about the, um, whatever, the germs and stuff being similar to a living room, is there a difference between, well, that's my living room, my body's used to those germs, but it's not used to the germs that other people are bringing in? Um, well, we didn't, we're just comparing to literature. So um, I couldn't really uh, extend or extrapolate to that. Um, but if you look at things like kitchens or hospitals, those look very different in terms of the literature on what their um, microbiome of, that of those built environments look like. So you said you would sit by the window. Could you say why that is? I mean, I think I might know, but wh why would you sit by the window? Okay, so um, it's all about proximity. And so um, if, and we were assuming a one meter uh, radius for exposure. And uh, one meter takes you, if you're in a three by three configuration, takes you out to the, to the uh, aisle seat, but not to the aisle, mm. okay? And, and people that sit by windows tend to get up less. People that uh, sit by windows have fewer contacts with other passengers, mm. and that's what it's all about is decreasing contacts, uh, decreases your exposure. My name is Jenny Baylor, and uh, I am a public health practitioner and a consumer of data. Um, I find this fascinating and have followed this work as, as you uh, and your colleagues rolled it out. Um, we are sometimes called upon to notify people who have flown on a plane that they sat next to someone who had an infectious disease uh, and then ask them to do certain things to um, ensure that they don't get sick or spread diseases further. It doesn't happen very often, just so you know, but occasionally <laughs> it does. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm really interested in how your team might be planning planning to further this work because it's really relevant to uh, public health practice. Um, and I personally would be interested in a study where you had a known uh, infectious person on the plane. Not sure how you would figure that out, but um, <laughs> if, you if you knew that someone was infectious and then could track uh, who else on the plane got sick and where they were sitting, something mm -hmm. like that, or other, other thoughts you might have on how to continue to research this important area. Yeah. That, that would be really, really tough to do because you'd have to um, have consent of everybody 
you'd have to have individual identifiers. Mm -hmm. And the whole reason we were be able to do what we did was we had tremendous cooperation from an unline, unnamed airline that is like the fourth letter in the Greek alphabet. Um, <laughs> uh, and, um, but we couldn't do anything to um, interfere with their workflow, okay? And we couldn't do anything in terms of asking passengers to participate. So all we could do was observe. And I think that if we were, we would find it a very difficult sell for that uh, fourth letter of the Greek alphabet airline uh, <laughs> to, um, to, to actually help us um, to do something along the lines of what you're suggesting, even though it really is so incredibly important to understand. Uh, my name is Dong Hyang Lee, and uh, actually my question also relates to her question. So, I mean, actually, uh, you know, the, this kind of, you know, the study can be, you know, really related to the public health. So, I really think that CDC might be really related to, I mean, interest in your research. So, maybe, you know, they might want to have some kind of collaboration with you. So, do you have any kind of, you know, ongoing project with them or? Um, well, um, we actually sit right across from the CDC, <laughs> physically across the street. <laughs> My office looks at the CDC. Um, and so uh, we did, we've had a number of um, discussions with them. They were really helpful in terms of, of doing things like uh, dealing with um, TSA and being able to get um, uh, the stuff that we needed to sample with uh, through security clearances, et cetera. Um, but they weren't coming up with any funding either. So. Uh, yeah. Michael O'Connell here. I'm curious what kind of experimental controls you used when you were collecting data on these planes? Uh, what do you mean in terms of experimental controls? So for instance, when you're sampling bacteria uh, or while sampling for microbiome data, uh, did you do any kind of controls to make sure you were getting equal samples from different locations on the plane, things like that? Um, well, we had little templates that we only sampled for a certain um, area for each of the surfaces that we did. We were always very careful about calibrating our air uh, pumps in terms of the volumes that we uh, sucked in and did uh, specific time measurements to get uh, the same uh, same representations of time from place to place. We also had um, uh, negative controls that we sent uh, off for sequencing, and uh, then they also included some positive controls as well. So, so for a general audience, can you talk about what a positive control and a negative control is? Maybe that's something that's new to some folks. Okay, so um, when you're doing microbiome work, um, a um, negative control would be just don't run, you know. Uh, take your swab, okay, and just stick it into the, the little test tube that you're gonna send to the lab. Don't swab it on anything. Just take it out of, its, out of its package, put it in the test tube, seal it up, send it to the lab for sequencing. And that kind of gives you a background of what's there. A positive control would they would take uh, a, a sample that has known uh, bacterial growth on it. And uh, so you can get a kind of a relative idea. 
Hi, um, Ben Schweitzer here. Um, I was just curious, because you said it was like one airline that you worked with. Um, do you think there's anything that like a specific airline could do that could perhaps influence like the like level of germs like in their plane? Like, I don't know, you said Boeing was interested, but like if I worked for like an airline carrier, I feel like they're kind of the front end. I would be curious about that. So do you think there's any like processes they do between flights that could influence um, like the, the, the level of germs in their plane? Or do you think that, I mean, obviously you didn't, you were only using one airline. So is that something you guys were interested in at all? Um, well, we do know that different airlines have different cleaning protocols mm -hmm. and uh, different standards of cleaning in terms of the products that they use, um, what they have to do. And so um, that's something that you also have to kind of figure into this. Um, and that's uh, why we're also really not so sure about how it extends to international flights, even if you were flying internationally for six hours you know, from Korea to Shanghai, or I don't know what a six-hour flight is in Asia, but um, I don't know that we would necessarily extend there. I think we have time for one more question, if there anyone else in the audience has it. So I don't think I don't have to worry if someone sneezes on the plane if they're more than two seats away from me. Right. <laughs> Hi, Nathan Drew. Were you able to gain any insight into the occupational hazards? So the airline crew, are they maybe more susceptible since they uh, tend to see longer exposures? Um, yes, the airline crew are more susceptible if one of them shows up sick, okay? Because they spend an awful lot of time with each other. But as far as passengers, if they're exposed to an infectious passenger, they're not as likely to get sick as, say, the people that are immediately around, seated around them. Um, uh, so we had found that. We had also done a study in emergency rooms and looked at contacts there. And it's the emergency room staff, the, the practitioners, the care providers, the nurses, the administrative clerks. There's a tremendous social pressure um, in epidemics to show up no matter what and to keep working no matter what. And that means that people show up or they stay if they're sick. And if they stay when they're sick, they're spreading it to each other and to the patients. Whereas they tend to think the patient's the enemy. Mm -hmm. Okay, The patient's the one they're going to get it from. And we found that wasn't true either. That's fascinating. Well, Vicki, thank you so much for being here. It's all t the time we have for this episode. Well, thank you very much, and love and honor. <laughs> Great. <laughs>